0: From the kids go, go. to Aunt Sue, keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call one eight hundred Xfinity, or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed.
1: The Leslie Marshall Show: A true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people.
2: Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline
1: D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my column on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack.com. Front slash Brad Dash Bannon. That's muckrack, M U C K R A C K dot com. Front slash Brad Dash Bannon. My most recent contribution to The Hill is my take on the Democratic presidential race in Iowa, which is the first state to select delegates to the Democratic National Convention. I will make or break some Democratic candidates, and it's less than six months away. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for and designs research-based message and media strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to facebook.com slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. My thanks to executive producer Mark Grimaldi, who keeps me in line and makes sure the trains run on time. Our guest today in the first half hour is Hope Fry, co-founder of Project Life, uh, which advocates for the rights of immigrant children. John Amato, the founder of CrooksAndLiars.com, joins our own Mark Grimaldi. For the second half hour, the, there was. Uh, n- these are the questions uh, I want to ask uh, you all to consider. And uh, if you want to uh, join in on the show, uh, you probably know the number by now. It's 888 6 Leslie. That's 888 6 Leslie. These are the questions we're going to consider today. There was an intense media focus on the terrible conditions in border camps a few months ago. Do Americans still care about the sordid conditions in the camps or was the popular outrage just another media blimp? Is there any a second, is there any way of solving the humanitarian crisis at the border while Donald Trump is still president? Third and final is What kind of lasting psychological effects do you think the kids who are interned in these camps suffer as a result of their imprisonment? Our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry, who is the co-founder of Project Project, uh, uh, Lifeline, a nonprofit focused on children who are or were in immigration detention. Uh, their, the uh, Project Lifelines uh, mission spans the child experience, child's experience, with the goal of pro- providing continuity of care. They are the only nonprofit with medical and legal programs. Hope is also active in projects with the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, and is class counsel for, for detained children in the court case, federal court case Flores versus Barr. She also leads the Flores teams of lawyers and doctors conducting evidence for the center uh, enforcement actions by interviewing detained children and inspecting facilities where they are held, including those run by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, Hope, thanks for joining Deadline DC today. Uh, Let me start out and ask you this question What have you learned? Uh, by v- these visits to the camps, and specifically, what have you learned about the detained immigrant children?
0: Um, let me just make a quick point of correction. I am not class counsel for Flores versus Barr. CHRCL, the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, and Peter Shea are the class counsel. I provide uh, an evidentiary gathering function that underlies the court actions. Uh, in the Flores case, and I just wanted to make that correction um, what we have seen at the customs and border protection um, gels and and i want to I want to call them gels um, because I think they bear uh, in our common understanding we don't really understand concentration camps in the United States, but we understand gels um, and what you have where you have children held um, are children held in cages, um, which is the old image of a jail, you know, the cell with bars. Um, they can't go in and out at will. Um, and everything uh, that is done to them, uh, they have no agency. Everything is done to them. Very little is done for them. Um, and that distinguishes them from jails, I guess, because we do things for prisoners. But to me, it feels like a jail, and the children feel like like prisoners. Um, what What I saw in the last visit, which uh, started on June the tenth uh, in McAllen, Texas, were children who were filthy. Uh, I had a baby. They're being kept in freezing temperatures. Uh, with the lights on 24 hours a day, which is, by the way, part of the definition that our military uses for torture, uh, cold temperatures, and uh, 24-hour uh, lighting. Um, they are given wholly inadequate food. There's no pureed food for babies. Where there is formula, the bottles are not cleaned, so they're contaminated. The water is contaminated. Um People don't have adequate hygiene, no toothbrushes, no hairbrushes. Um, uh, They sleep on the concrete floor. There are no beds. The floor is very cold. And they're covered with, they call them mylar blankets, but you know what they remind me of? When you buy off-brand foil and it tears when you try to wrap something up, that's what the covering that they have uh, is like. Um, So... That's the condition, and what I saw are babies who are filthy. They're covered with dirt. They've been detained 10 days, even longer. They haven't been able to shower. Their mothers or fathers haven't been able to wash them. I saw babies in onesies with filthy diapers uh, because they're not given clothes, and a onesie, that child is freezing. Um, A little boy, 6 years old, sat in front of me. His face was filthy, but you could see through the dirt the tear tracks. I mean, it was very, it was overwhelming. A teen mother, 16 years old, with a baby under one, she's holding the baby. The baby had been very sick. Many of the children were very sick. Uh, And the baby looked like wax. There's no room. The cages are packed. And even if you wanted to put your baby down on the floor to crawl, there's no room. People are packed in there. In some cages, people stand or they sit up when they try to sleep. Um, it's just a a simply deplorable condition. So you find children that are very afraid, crying, saying, "I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid." Um, you see, you see children with no affect. Their faces are flat. They don't respond to their name. Um, um, you see babies that when you put them down where we went with a carpeted floor, they're frenetic They're turning in circles. They don't even know. They're disoriented. Um, we see babies, children sitting in the laps of other children to whom they're not related. These are young children, a 3-year-old or a 2-year-old with a 12-year-old. The 12-year-old is not related to the baby but is charged with taking care of them. I mean, it's a, it's a horrendous situation, and children who have taken this long, arduous, dangerous journey from their country to the United States, they're coming from a traumatic circumstance, they take this traumatic journey, and then we throw them into hell. What do we think is going to happen to those people? I think many of these children are damaged for life, will never recover their mental health because of the conditions that we, the people of the United States, are detaining them in. It's a very, it's a a wrenching, highly emotional thing for those of us who, the small group who are interviewing these children, to see them and to experience them. I'll never recover from it.
1: We're going to go to break now, uh, and uh, when we get back, we're going to... continue a discuss, uh, discussion with Hope Fry from Project Lifeline about the deplorable conditions that are uh, the Trump administration is inflicting on immigrants and immigrant children. We'll be right back after these with more of D.C. Deadline DC with Brad Bannon after these messages.
0: that acting U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Director Ken Cuccinelli was on NPR this morning. He was asked about this public charge rule. I want to play for you what he had to say. Would you also agree that Emma Lazarus's words etched on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, are also part of the American ethos?
1: Uh, they certainly are. Give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. That, that plaque was put on the Statue of Liberty At almost the same time as the first public charge law was passed, very interesting timing.
0: Although you mentioned the American Dream is is built on this idea that this is a place where you can come and build a life. This
1: is uh, Brad Bannon. We're back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry, who is uh, internationally. Expert on uh, migrant of uh, immigrant children. Uh, you know, this is one of the most uh, depressing uh, shows that segments I've done. Um, you know, just listening to hope in the first half hour, uh, you just wonder. Uh, anyway, uh, Hope is an internationally recognized immigration lawyer focused on disadvantaged populations, especially women and children. She is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline, a nonprofit focused on children who are or were in intent, uh, immigration detention uh, in uh, border, border camps. If you want to know more about uh, Project Lifeline, their website is projectlifeline.us. The Twitter handle is PROJLIFELINE. If you want to contact me and have any thoughts on the show or the subject, my Twitter handle is uh, at Brad Bannon. Uh, Hope, let me ask you this. I'm sure there has been you've talked to people uh maybe psychologists what kind of long-term mental health problems are these kids likely to have who are detained in these deplorable conditions
0: the american academy of pediatrics wrote a white paper in which they said one minute of detention of a child is damaging no child no child should ever be detained um what we see, you know, it's very interesting. Um, there is this acute situation that I described to you that's horrendous. Um, but what happens when people, when children get out of this kind of situation, um, with debilitating, uh, mental health outcomes is that there are ripples, uh, circles that spread like when you throw a rock into water, um, that end up affecting uh, the neighborhood, the community, the city, the state, and ultimately the nation. Um, there's no question when we look at the paradigms of, of mental health put out by places like Stanford University that this is true. Um, children, the, the migrant child population is surprisingly resilient. I have never met people with as deep of religious faith as these children, um, and as much uh, resilience for everything they've been through. That said, there is, in my view, a concerted attempt by the government to smash these children physically, mentally, and spiritually from the second they enter the United States. The long-term consequences can be as dire uh, as uh, addictions, Inability to form relationships, uh, in, in adult life, um, profound depression, anxiety disorders, uh, some children, you know, it's so severe, they suffer, they become mute. Um, we've seen children in detention who don't speak anymore. Um, they lose their affect. Children become immobilized. Um, they become traumatized. Parents who, um, uh, report that their children, particularly separated children, um, don't recognize people, uh, don't eat, don't engage in any activities, don't play. Um, so we and we see babies uh, coming out of these these detention centers um, who babies who no longer, um, can bond because there is a no-touching policy that starts at Customs and Border Protection and goes all the way through the shelters where these children are detained. Um, children go from Customs and Border Patrol and accompany children to shelters run by the Office of Refugee Resettlement. These are run by private contractors for profit who make a, uh, a per diem uh, head fee. So children are supposed to be released expeditiously because of the profit motive, they're not. Why release a child when you make a caching every night? And as we know, Homestead, um, the influx center was making seven hundred and fifty-five dollars a night for each child that they held. At these places the no touch policy continues and it's very extreme. Like sisters cannot one can't put a friendship bracelet on the wrist of another because it's a touching. A girl can't braid her friend, an adolescent girl can't braid her friend's hair um, because it's a touching. Boys, when they play sports, if they they come in contact, you play sports. It's a touching. Um, This is child abuse, per se, and children that are held You know, even 30 days, and I've met children held more than a year in these circumstances. What do you think happens to a child who can't be touched? I mean, it doesn't take much imagination to understand the destructive nature of this. We touch our children all the time, all the time. Um, Adolescent girls gossip and do each other's hair and paint each other's nails. This is an abnormal circumstance, and we see children permanently psychologically damaged by this and I, there's a concerted effort to yeah, do this,
1: this is uh, very distressing uh, sorry Hope we're out of time uh, our guest in this half hour and again it was one of the depressing segments I've done what's uh, happening to these kids is just abominable Uh, is Hope Fry, uh, co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon after this break. We are back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We, uh, as usual in the second half hour, we have our progressive, provocative, progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today is John Amato, who is the founder of Crooks Li- CrooksAndLiars.com, an award-winning site for progressive news and media criticism. Started in 2004, CrooksAndLiars.com was the first website to feature audio and video online, revolutionizing how political news is consumed and distributed on the Internet. John's Twitter handle is at John Amato. That's J-O-H-N-A-M-A-T-O. Joining John on the panel is executive producer Mark Romaldi, who is a progressive political activist. Uh, Welcome, John and Mark. Let me start with this. Uh, In the first... Thanks for being on with us, John. Uh, In the first half hour, we talked about the crisis uh, at the immigration centers. And a couple of months ago, there were all sorts of uh, media coverage about the deplorable conditions that uh, immigrants and immigrant children were being held in in detention camps on the Mexican border. A uh, lot of outrage, a lot of comment. Uh, I haven't seen much uh, media coverage of the uh, detention camps um, lately. Uh, John, does that mean um, Americans don't care anymore? What, what do you make of this situation?
3: No, well, definitely Americans care, and especially the Democratic Party. Uh, what's quite obvious is that Trump's core group of voters, the evangelicals, and the religious right really don't. And that's an incredibly sad commentary on the supposed moral majority that they have in their minds. I mean, they actually agree with Trump's xenophobic and horrific attack on minorities and on people trying to seek asylum from anywhere. And it's really indicative of just what a fraud the religious right is so um i like to make that point because it it really to me covering the religious right as well as politics in general from 2004 uh it is it's just awful and this isn't going away you know right now congress is out on on the august recess so we don't have people are trying to take a break from this insanity that trump's caught you know caused throughout this country so it We'll be front and center again because, as 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 reporters have said, when you see children living in the conditions that they are, it's it's not only frightening, it's horrifying.
1: Yeah, it really is. Uh, let me ask you another a question about media coverage, John, before I get the mark. Uh, back when there was a lot of coverage uh, about uh, the detention centers and the deplorable conditions, Uh, that these kids were living in. Uh, There was some backlash when people started referring to them as media backlash or certainly backlash from the administration uh, uh, about calling them concentration camps. Now, it seems to me they are concentration camps. Uh, Do you think the media, John, do you think the media has made enough of this? The media ready to call them concentration camps instead of using the euphemism, detention centers?
3: Well, you know, the media, you know, on a whole at this point, has been really neglectful in, in describing just the person that Donald Trump is and that he tells you every day he does not hide his racism or his anti-Semitism at all. But um, it, it it's quite shocking that when we have these detention centers, they it's almost like they want to go well we have to say something negative about the democrats because every time trump tweets or opens up his mouth it it's it's a disaster so then they'll conflate whatever the republicans excuses are um over like any criticism that comes their way from the democratic party i mean you know they even go back to the 1920s and the 1880s to say this isn't this isn't new this happened you know back when teddy roosevelt did it you know and uh, it's disturbing. Uh, some media outlets do take a harder stance, but they always try to be this—you uh, know—they need to call it what it is. You know, that was the big problem in the run-up to the Iraq War, um, which is to sort of kowtow to the administration's wishes. And also, there's lots of journalists that want that access to the White House and to the administration. So instead of being you know, giving us hard news, they're giving us sometimes stenography.
1: Mark, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, you uh, listened to the first segment uh, with Hope Fry from Project Lifeline. Let me ask you the question I wanted to ask her, but I didn't have time. What do you think the people who run these camps, especially the for-profit centers, what you know, how do these people live with themselves?
2: You know it's a very good question. Um, I think you either have to be completely just void of human emotion uh, or believe in this hateful rhetoric about these people, because you I don't see how you could do this job unless you dehumanize them and you don't treat them like people. She as Hope said, it was basically like a warehouse and and keep almost like keeping merchandise not people i mean that's the only way and 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 the thing that it 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 brings to mind is there's a famous story and obviously you know that there there have been people who have been uh killed uh, have died in their custody but to our knowledge there have been no charges of you know murder like there were during the holocaust but the story that it keeps, it brings to mind, was one of the famous SS officers who uh, murdered children in concentration camps, and then came home and played with his small children the same age. And it was, you know, written about after World War II ended, and and basically, you know, was. How is this possible? And it's because did not treat the other people like human beings. They were s- seen as less than human, as subhuman, and I, that's the only way I think that that's possible. Um, and and these for-profit camps, as Hope brought up, is they're incentivized to keep these people in these horrible conditions, and again, spend as little money as possible on the things that are needed, absolutely needed, because it's again, it's about turning a profit. Um, there was the administration lawyer if you remember that went viral arguing that toothpaste and blankets were not necessary for people I mean it how much more just disgustingly depraved can you be like I'm sorry i I'm sure you guys feel this way when you hear this stuff, but I just feel blind rage I mean i wanna i, I hate I don't know how else to say it I wanna punch a wall like I just I get this this it, it takes everything in your person to just not. Just fly off the handle and freak out, and 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 and. But you can't because that it's either that or they want you to do that, or they want you to turn away the people who enact these policies and run them. But the right thing to do to get justice for these kids is to take all of that, that that emotional. Just everything you're feeling and direct it towards affecting change. So that's why I applaud someone like Hope because I, I mean, we're hearing her her story secondhand. To run into those conditions firsthand and to be the the, the lifeline for these children, um, I just I applaud her because I I don't know how some people can can do that. But but that's what needs to be done. Support organizations like hers, like Project Lifeline, and keep the this administration's feet to the fire. I mean, we heard the hearings in Congress when they were questioning administration officials and. In the House about these horrid camps and policies, that's when it was in the spotlight. So, um, you know, as, as John, I think, very uh, accurately brought up, we need these, them back from uh, recess as soon as possible to not only address gun violence, but also uh, to highlight uh, these horrible conditions and try to affect change.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel, you know, last week when we talked about uh, gun violence, that was depressing because I have this feeling that there's really nothing anybody can do as long as Donald Trump is president. Uh, and th- this, to me, is even more depressing the way they treat these kids. Uh, anyway, we're going to put a break now. Uh, we come back, we will have more of our provocative, progressive political uh, panel. Uh, with John Amato, who is the founder of CrooksAndLiars.com and our own executive uh, producer, Mark Gormaldi. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after these messages.
3: See, the bottom line is, I know you like me and this room is a love fest, I know that, but you have
1: no choice but to vote for me. Because your 401Ks, down the tubes, everything's going to be down the tubes. So whether you love me or hate me, you got to vote for me. That, of course, was the president uh, basically threatening Americans that uh, if uh, they don't reelect him, he's going to take the economy down with him. Uh, well, I think he's taking the economy down uh, w- with him, whether he's re- uh, reelected or not, hopefully not. Okay, we have been discussing uh, the uh, immigration, uh, the concentration camps on the Mexican border uh, with our progressive, provocative political panel. Uh, our guest on the panel are John Amato, who is the founder of crooksandliars.com, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh I'm gonna ask the panel this question and then I'm gonna uh uh I'm gonna ask our uh caller, good friend Michael from the Bronx, this question. Then I'm gonna want the panel to answer the same question I asked Michael. And the question is uh, what, Like it or not, we're stuck with Donald Trump for 17 more months And maybe a lot longer than that if Things don't go well So my question to Michael and the panel is How do we, what do we do How do we deal with these horrible situations Such as the kids at the camps and the gun violence uh, When we're still stuck with when, You know, while Donald Trump is still president Michael, you want to take a whack at that one? Well, the first thing is continue to press for impeachment and perhaps removal of office. Maybe, just maybe, we can get these Republicans to have a change of mind and a change of heart. Consider this. Would you uh, be treating animals and pets the same way that you are doing with these children? You know there are animal abuse laws and Let's our animals and pets are getting treated far better than these children, and we're talking children here. I mean, come on, have a heart. What would Jesus do? Okay. Uh, John, uh, let me ask you the same question. Uh, we're stuck with Donald Trump, like it or not, for the next 17 months. What, if anything, can we do to try, you know, to do something about these horrible situations uh, in the, the concentration camps on the Mexican border uh, and other big problems. Are we just basically going to have to, you know, grin, you know, live with it for the next 17 months or maybe longer? What are our options?
3: Well, I mean, as far as on my end, being a political blogger, you know, this is what we write about every single day, um, 365 days a year. So, remaining silent or just putting up with it is not an option. And um, so, we try to do as best we can with the resources that we have to expose every lie, every manipulation, every horrific event, every action that this president takes um, so that when the time comes for people to vote, you know, they will say, I mean, it's like, haven't you had enough of this already? Um, and, and so that's what we do constantly, as well as is promote progressive ideals and ideas against the backdrop of just like a, an unflinching, uncaring, nasty, vile, bully type of mentality that, that we see emanate from the Trump administration every day. I mean, I've been, I've been uh, binging uh, on The Sopranos again. I haven't watched it in 15 years. And the Republican Party is like Carmela Soprano in the first three seasons, which
2: they know... Oh my gosh, that is such a good analogy, John, I just have to tell you.
3: They know, right? They know that he's a horrible person, just like Carmela. They know he commits awful acts and deeds. They know that that all these sexual assaults and mistresses is true. But guess what? If he gives them a mink coat, they're all happy again, right? They know that he's locking children in cages. Uh, and, and letting them fend for themselves and having, like, seven-year-olds take care of toddlers. But, you know, if he gives them an emerald ring, it's all wonderful again.
1: So, uh, Mark? Um, oh, go ahead, John.
3: That's, that's, that's the newest analogy I've, I've come to try to describe the Republican Party and many Trump voters.
2: You know, it's a, a huge problem is we're not looking at—they're not looking at reality, not just the, the, those voters, but also— People who do not want Trump in office but don't take enough action to get involved in exposing his administration and pressuring Republicans. Now, here's the thing. There have been a few times when there's been enough pressure put on that Republicans were after Trump behind the scenes to change his behavior. And then it at least mildly changed. If you remember the government shutdown and he was saying, unless he got funding for the wall, you know, he was not going to end the shutdown and what happened? Well, he declared the fake public emergency and, and ended the shutdown and the workers, you know, came back to work. Um, there were a couple other small instances of it, uh, you know, where he at least changed some of his rhetoric for instance. But I think, you know, there was a a good, uh, example, um, Congresswoman, uh, I think Tlaib, as well as um, a couple other uh, congresswomen, posted pictures of the Hong Kong democracy protests. And I think it was something like 1.7 million people uh, who were protesting. And also they brought up the protests in Puerto Rico and how they got their their leader to quit within three days or agree to resign. And they basically just posed the question, what would happen if we just kind of like the women's march but not just went into the streets it took to the streets but stayed in the streets until we said enough is enough this this man needs to resign and i don't know what the number is but i do think that there's some number where if people actually decided to do it that eventually there would be enough pressure put on for this guy to step down. Now, one of the problems is I think people are comfortable enough in their current lives, whether they admit it or not, because of the amount of wealth that this country has and the fact that people can change the channel or watch, you know, Fox News or whatever, you know, Newsmax, you know, OAN, whatever these channels are to basically fit their own version of reality. That's how people escape from these truths. Or just the average American says this is depressing and changes the channel. But we have to challenge them, our relatives, our loved ones, our friends and tell them We have to be that guy who's like, God, is everything you post political? Yep. (laughs) Except for pictures of my kids. We're living in a freaking crisis. Like, what do you want from me? We have to do that. It's not just on us, but it's going to be when the average people we talk to feel just as outraged as we are and want to act. I mean, that's the only way, Brad. Otherwise, yes, then it's going to take 17 months and nothing will change. It will only get worse. That's the only way I think it can change in the meantime.
1: Uh, John, let me follow up on something you raised earlier in the segment. Uh, what would you be telling the <laughs> Democratic presidential candidates? Um, how do they? How do you think they should be talking about this uh, issue of the, the concentration camps? Are they being aggressive enough, in your opinion?
3: Well, when it happens, they've all come out um, and, and, and vilified this president, this administration, and many of them have uh, brought this issue up constantly. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have we'll have new debates, hopefully with a, a trimmed down roster come September. Uh, and um, you know, they can do only so much. But they keep it on the on you know on the front pages. The, the problem, one of the problems that we face, and and I understand what you're talking about, is that Trump and his administration cause a you know I don't I don't want to curse on air, but a crap show every day, and so suddenly there's something else that the media has to focus on, and some other horrific uh, event action that Trump has taken, and so it does tend to push these kinds of of uh, you know, of these kinds of stories, to the side, but just momentarily, because this issue is never going away, <clears throat> and and uh, all the Democratic politicians are on top of this, or most, I, I will say. But wait till the re- after the okay, recess. John, sorry, I'm going
1: to have to interrupt you because we're running out of time. Uh, but uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, Hope Fry from Project Lifeline. Uh, John Amato from CrooksAndLiars.com and our Owen an executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back next Monday with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. If the award is willing and the creek don't rise, and unless Donald Trump declares martial law. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you next week.